Good morning. Hello, everybody. How are you today? It's great to see you. Uh, before I get started today, I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Rodney and his lovely better half, Shannon. We have some great leadership in our pastor. So you gave it up for me, but would you give it up for Pastor Rodney really quick? And in the same breath, I've got to send some love out to Guthrie because I would not be who I am today without the leadership and the love of Pastor Clint Smith out there in Guthrie and his lovely wife, Lindsay. So if you know Pastor Clint, give him a shout really quick. Give him some love out there in Guthrie. So today it is my honor and privilege to share with you from the book of Romans 8 as we conclude this series, More Than. And I am excited to do that because this is a powerful, powerful passage. And I just want to start off by reading that along with you. So we're going to pick up in Romans 8. We're starting in verse 31, and I just want you to read this with me. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the Christians in Romans, says, What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? It's quite an opener right there. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? It's kind of like bragging on your dad, you know. It's like my dad can beat up your dad. He's basically doing that right now. Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. And that's good news. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for I think it's significant that, that Jesus is sitting down. You know, I don't know if you feel this way, but sometimes I feel like the bad things in my life, maybe uh, a sin or something that's just awful that happened, maybe make Jesus want to stand up, you know, and get out of his chair and go do something about it. But he's seated in a position of honor, at a position of rest, and not because he doesn't care, but because if our God is for us, nothing can stand against us. Even if he's sitting in his chair, he's still got the power. Somebody say amen. Now, I feel like there's a transition from verse 34 to verse 35, kind of cutting this thing in half, because he's bragging on God, but then I think he takes it, and it's as if he says, therefore, and begins to apply these things that are true about God. So let's read that by saying, therefore, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? In fact, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted for his name or go hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? For as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. So good. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. And I'm praying that we all get set free from those two specifically today. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Y'all, that's a mouthful. I don't feel like there's a more comprehensive list in all of Scripture that basically displays for us what we have victory over and what God has done for us. 
Now, I feel like this is so powerful. My wife and I agreed that this is what we wanted read at our wedding. We got married back in July, and meant for our blessing scripture, the one that we want to invade our lives and our marriage, was this one. Because we know this. We are two messed up people trying to come together and make it one life together in marriage. And we know that means that anything that can go wrong probably will, and we're going to need some help. And we wanted something that would cover no matter what comes our way to be able to bless us and protect us. And that's the verse we chose. It's, this means a lot to me today. I, I'm just excited to share this with you. Before we do that, we're going to go to the Lord, the Lord in prayer. So I want you to bow with me. Let's pray. God, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open. I ask God in Jesus' name, Lord, that you would speak to me today. We thank you, Lord, that you are the Holy Spirit here today, and you're going to reveal Jesus to us, God. Let it be powerful. Let victory be ours because of what you have done, and may we learn more about you. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Church, have you ever had a really, really weird dream? I'm serious, like something that's like, you don't even know where this came from. It makes zero sense. Did you eat a weird taco from Jack in the Box last night before you went to bed? Like those kind of things in your brain? Let me tell you, this is a regular occurrence in the Jones household, all right? Between my wife and I, it's almost every night that somebody's getting woken up out of their sleep because the other person is having some kind of crazy dream and just just weird. So i got to be honest, okay? Y'all, my wife is phenomenal. She is awesome. She is absolutely my better half, but she's the one usually waking me up, okay? Can I be honest? I've forgiven her about that, you know? We, we've been to counseling over it and all that. I'm just kidding. But for real, normally it's her, but this one time... Maybe more than once, but this time in particular, it was me, okay? It was all my fault. This is the weirdest dream I can remember. I, in my dream, was actually asleep, okay? So I love sleep so much that I dream about sleep sometimes, judge me later. But I was sleeping on the couch in my living room, and I woke up in the dream. Not in real life. Don't lose me. I woke up in my dream, and I look up, in the ceiling in my living room, there is a perfectly shaped square hole in my ceiling, it's like there's this window up into my attic, and like I can see everything up there, and that's not normal, first of all. Uh, we didn't watch Fixer Upper and get an idea from Joanna Gaines that it's a good thing to cut a hole in your roof to your attic, your ceiling to your attic. We didn't do that. So I was already kind of upset about that. That's bad. But what happens next really, really set me off. You see, through this little window into the attic, I noticed crawling and scuttering about in my attic was a massive nasty possum. Y'all, they're nasty creatures. If you've never been near one, come on, they are nasty. And right behind him was his buddy, the raccoon. And bringing up the rear, the worst out of them all, the one that smells like a rear, a skunk. These three critters were in my attic. And I don't think I can accurately describe to you the level, the depth, the enormity of my rage that came over me. I really felt like I needed to turn into the Incredible Hulk and start getting green and, man, just really unleashing fury on these varmints up in my attic. Because I'm in a dream, though, things don't quite go that way, all right? It just gets really, really weird. This rage fills me. And church, i got to be honest. I said some things to these varmints that I cannot repeat to you today. Um, yeah, I, uh, I am a pastor, okay, and I, I have heard these things before that I said. In fact, uh, you may wonder, like, how do I even know what those words are? Well, I wasn't always saved, okay, so we'll just say that. 
I, from deep in the depths of my soul, I pulled out some choice words for these varmints in my attic and threw it at them, and then I grabbed the nearest weapon I could find. There wasn't a rifle, a hunting rifle at my side. There was not a bazooka. In fact, all I could find while I was on my couch was a pillow. And uh, I grabbed this pillow, and with all of the fury that I had, I threw it into the ceiling, hoping that it would turn into the hammer of Thor and explode in a fireball and obliterate my enemies more than a conqueror. Amen. Uh, however, as it goes for varmint slaying, there are, in fact, better weapons to get rid of things like that than a pillow. And it did what a pillow should do, and it went up in the attic and did nothing. They laughed at it and kept going. In fact, I woke up after that because I yelled so loud and moved in my sleep that I woke myself up. And my wife over there, who's normally getting a hard time for me, for, for her waking me up, is over there just smiling. She's like, you know what you just did? I'm like, yes, I did know. And I left with this feeling like I lost. I got beat by a possum, a raccoon, and a skunk. They whipped my tail. I am I'm powerless. I am weak. And it reminded me of so many dreams to where I'd be fighting bad guys. You know, you ever been in a dream where you try to punch somebody? And it's like you're punching in slow-mo, and they're just like, hmm. And then you connect, and it's just like, oh, that's so cute. You try to hit me. And they just kind of laugh it off. And you wake up, and you're still confused because it was a dream, but was it a dream? And it's like, am I really that weak? Like, come on. And we just are filled with this feeling of powerlessness, you know? Like, I am helpless against the things that are coming my way. And I think it's that connection of helplessness that causes the Apostle Paul to write down the questions he's asking in this chapter. He says this, that can any of these things separate us from God's love? Because I can't stop them. I can't stop the trouble that's coming my way. I can't defeat the calamity that I am going through. I can't stop death. I can't stop people trying to rob me. And he even takes it one step further. He asks the question that people that believe in God ask when they're going through suffering. He said, does it mean that because this is happening, that God doesn't love me? Because I've heard. You know, I've heard that God is all-knowing. And I've heard that God is all-present. He's even all-powerful and all-loving. But right now, what I am going through should not be happening to someone who knows that. There's something that doesn't add up about those statements and the situation I'm going through. Because if God loves me and he has all this power, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Last week, we got a fantastic message from Pastor Rodney about suffering. And I encourage you, go back and watch that if you missed that. He even asked the question and in some ways is able to answer it that we all ask when we're going through situations that we don't want to be in is, why is this happening to me? It's a great message. Go back and watch that. Tonight, I want to talk to you about, or today, I want to talk to you about what God is doing in the middle of your suffering, who he is. Because I feel like the Apostle Paul has revealed a puzzle. He's actually found all of the pieces and he's put it together for us in this passage. And the first piece of the puzzle, if you're taking notes today, is the reason. The reason this is even a puzzle. Because I don't know about you, I think we can all agree that it's confusing to hear about God who loves me, and then I'm going through the worst situation. All hell is breaking loose in my life, and I'm supposed to be more than a conqueror? I am getting conquered right now. How am I more than that thing that is beating me? And it seems to not make sense. 
I thought about the group of people who has experienced more trouble and pain and loss and death than any other people group that I can think of. The Jewish people who are defined from the beginning as God's chosen. A people that he will call by his name, his own people, have been through some of the worst things that this world has ever seen or heard of. This past fall, I got to go visit Washington, D.C. with my wife, who has great family there. And a lot of her family has been in the military. So I got the best tour of Washington, D.C. I learned so many things. And one of the things we got to go experience was the Holocaust Museum. I don't know if you ever got to be there or heard a lot of the stories that come along with that, but I think we can all agree that it is sickening, blood-curdling, just awful, the things that we can hear about there. And I just remember being floored by that experience. And I read a story in a book this past week about a guy who grew up in the Holocaust. He was living in Czechoslovakia at the time, and he and his brother were around the age of 10 and in school one day. They come home from school And something is very, very strange. They came home to an empty home. Because in fact, that day while they were at school, their parents had been taken. And taken to a concentration camp. I I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything I've ever been through that has that kind of depth of trouble, calamity, suffering, persecution that this man experienced. In fact, it gets worse because the only relatives that they have The only one that they can go to is an uncle that's living in London. Now, I'm not a geographer, but I think that that's a long way away from Czechoslovakia. Pretty sure. In fact, these two young boys have to walk all the way there just to get to their uncle and experience this pain and ask that question, does God still love me? Does God still love me? Does it mean that God doesn't love me when these things are happening? And I would say to you, and this is what I believe that the Apostle Paul is responding to that question with today. He would say no. Unequivocally, without exception, no. There is no chance that God no longer loves you because of what you're going through. Because hear me on this. The enemies of all that is good and righteous, the enemies of all that is peaceful, they have bad dreams too. You see, there's something that goes bump in the night for our enemies, for the enemies of God's people, for the enemies of love, because they've seen him. They've seen Jesus face to face. The Bible tells us this in Luke, that Jesus saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And in James 2.19, it says that the demons believe in God and shudder, tremble with fear At the thought of the living God. The second piece of the puzzle that I want to talk to you about today in the midst of our suffering is the Redeemer, Jesus himself. God Almighty. You see, our friend that we've been talking about that went through this pain during the Holocaust, his story doesn't end there. In fact, when he makes it into London, he grows up and becomes a pilot in the RAF, the Royal Air Force, and fights against the people who took his parents. He puts up a fight and does great, but he ends up getting shot down in the middle of battle and wounded in war. So it seems like it went from bad to worse here. But God wasn't done. You see, whenever he got to the hospital, he received some fantastic medical care. So much so that he ends up marrying his nurse. 
And no, I did not just describe to you the plot of the English patient. This is a, this is a real story. Can we talk about how God takes bad things and makes them good really quick? Can we talk about how God loves us enough to let bad things happen to us so he can shine his light in our darkness? It's hard to know that it's good to have a sunny day if it never rains. God is able to shine his light in our darkness whenever we're going through these things. There's a man by the name of Alfred Adler that did a study at the turn of the century. Not this past one, the one before. Basically what he studied was he began to see this trend that amongst art students, people who are very, very good with visual things, that they actually had some defects in their eyesight. They had anomalies in the way that they saw, and they were not completely whole and well in an area that they were good. He began to study Mozart, Beethoven, and found degenerative traces in their hearing, like it was getting worse. And time and time again, he found stories of people that, in spite of their difficulties, were rising up and being strong. And this is what he basically got out of that. He said he believed that poverty, birth defects, things that go terribly wrong, loss, damage, suffering is our greatest opportunity to rise above. And in fact, the areas where we are weak or hurt can become the greatest strength and opportunity that we have. You see, when you insert God into that conversation, because I don't know if Mr. Adler was a Christian, but if you insert the name of Jesus into that story, into this study, I believe that this is what you would find. My one takeaway from all of that, God's power of redemption is greater than any power of prevention. Let me say that one more time. I want you to hear me. You might want to write this down. Whenever you're going through hard times, you're going to need to remember this. God's power of redemption is greater than any power of prevention. Here's what I'm saying. It would be one thing for us to be able to stop bad things from happening or God to say no more bad things are going to happen to you. It's not going to happen at this point. It's done. I think it's greater for us to be able to look at the worst situation when things have literally fallen apart. The wheels have come off. Man, and you can't go lower than this situation I'm in. God can make it right. God is not only stronger than bad. He can take bad things and make them good. Romans 8, 28 tells us that he is able to take all things and work them together for our good. Joseph, the man who was sold into slavery by his brothers, is able to say this in Genesis 50, that what you meant for evil, God worked for good. He is powerful, so powerful, I just believe this, that he can unscramble scrambled eggs. It's real power. It's real power. He's the Redeemer. And I had to look that up. What does that have actually mean to redeem? You know, you hear about that word somewhat in today's society in the language vernacular. I looked it up and I found out that it meant to compensate for, to make up for someone's lack. It could also mean to atone for. Basically, in the same breath, it's Jesus' righteousness has overcome our sinfulness. But you know, it also means to buy back. That Jesus had to buy us back from sin and the wages of death. And he did that by taking our place. He redeemed us and led into the greatest victory that this world has ever experienced. And he brought about the third piece of the puzzle. 
The third piece of the puzzle is the result. The result of the Redeemer. Overwhelming victory. Romans 8, the scripture that we're talking about, he said, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. I'm talking Broncos defense in Super Bowl 50, overwhelming and complete, and even a little bit compensatory. Did y'all watch that game? Peyton Manning will go down as one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks of all time, as well he should. But guess who didn't win the game for the Broncos? All that man did was dance in the pocket and try not to get hit by that middle linebacker that was breaking necks and just blowing people up. And they still won without an offense. That defense was so strong that it made up for his lack. He literally brought one drive to the table. That's all he did, and they did the rest. I want you to hear today that Jesus has brought all of the victory to the table where you and I have brought nothing but lack, inability, weakness, weakness, powerlessness. And he's covered the rest. He's won the victory. But have we? Who is this us that the Apostle Paul is talking about? Who is it that can possess this victory when he says ours? Is it ours? Is it mine? You know, have I experienced that victory in every area of my life? Have you? The fourth piece of the puzzle today is the recipient. The recipient of this result of victory that was brought to us by the Redeemer. The Apostle Paul says that he is convinced that nothing can separate him from Christ's love. Nothing can stop this victory. And I want to ask the question today. In spite of your situation, in spite of the trouble, in spite of the damage, the loss, the despair, are we convinced? When people hear the words coming out of our mouth, do they know that we are convinced? When people see our behavior in our worst situations, can they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in our stories we tell, in our attitudes we hold towards other people? Because that's really the only way to know. Can other people read that in our lives, that we are convinced that this situation may be big, but it's not bigger than Jesus? It's not bigger than my Redeemer. And I began to think about the mother of a son or daughter who was making terrible decisions with their life, showing no signs of repentance, heading down a path that they know ends in destruction. Has she lost hope? About the father who just lost his job but still has an entire family to provide for. Is it over for this man? Is it over for his family? Begin to think about the addict who fell into the trap yet again. Whether their addiction was drugs, alcohol, gossip, lust. That thing that has control of their hearts that pulls them back again. Is it done? Is it too late? Is that person without hope? Church, are we today without hope? Are these things bigger than God? Is suffering, is loss, is it too much for him to handle? Does he care? Is he aware that I'm going through this? Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. 
tells us that without fail, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more death, no more sorrow, no more mourning. All these things will pass away and be done with forevermore. You know, I'm not so foolish to say that you're going to win everything that you've ever done. And I don't believe that there is a such thing as a prosperity gospel that says, follow Jesus and everything's going to be all right. It's not true. It's not true. In fact, he promises us in John 16, that in this world you will have trouble. Say, Pastor Joshua, I want you to be more positive. That's so negative. I'm like, all right. I am positive you will have trouble. It's going to happen. But that's not the end. Jesus says this, do not fear. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And I would say this as well, that if that situation in your life is not good, God's not done. If it ain't done, it ain't good. He's not finished. He's still got work to do, and he's still working on your behalf. And today, I have an invitation for you that's very, very simple, but it represents the same one that God offered to me right at eight years ago. You see, I grew up in the South at a place to where everybody goes to church, much like here, but I grew up far from God. And one day, sitting across the table, from my grandparents who have served God their whole lives, basically, looked at me and told me that they were waiting on God to do in my life what he needed to do so that I could do what I was made to do. Basically, they told me that they knew I wasn't living for God and they were just waiting on me to get it right, you know. So I was taken back. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This food is really good because Nana can cook. She kind of buttered me up a little bit with some fried okra and chicken. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't ready to hear it. And for the next eight years of my life, I went as far away from the call of God as possible. And friends, I want you to know this, that the things that I've done, the places that I've been, the things I've said, the things I've seen disqualify me from doing what I am doing right now. I am unqualified to talk about a good and holy God and how we need to live in a life that reflects that victory. I have messed it up. Thank God he made a way for me. His grace came and found me one night when I was 22 years old, driving in my car all alone, depressed, underachieving, undermotivated, full of regret, knowing that I was messing up my life and everybody's life I was near. His voice reached out to me, and he didn't speak out loud, you know, it was in a language that my heart knew well. Just like we all know and Holy Spirit's working on us. And he said this. He said, son, if you're ready, I've got it from here. I've got it from here. And I found out that night that in order for me to receive the victory of Jesus, I had to surrender. Victory through surrender. It doesn't make sense. My brain can't get it. That's what the Bible reveals to us, and it is more true than anything else. And today, I feel very certain that you are carrying weights in your life. You are carrying the burden of control, of saving yourself, of fighting against this trouble and calamity, which you are powerless 
to stop. In fact, God's telling you to stop. Stop and surrender. Surrender. 